Joe. <laughs> Let's pray before we begin. Lord, what a blessing it is to be in your house tonight, to have a desire to be in the house tonight, Lord, and to look to your word. We do thank you for every blessing you provide for us. Every single day, there are things you do for us that we're not even aware of. Lord, we just want to pause here and say thank you for it all, for the many blessings and the things we take for granted, not the least of which, Lord, is certainly salvation and also, Lord, the, the way that you have provided for us your word, a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. We're so grateful, so thankful. So we pray that you would uh, speak to our hearts tonight as we study your word and maybe um, open our eyes, speak deeply into our hearts and, and uh, give us revelation and illumination as we, as we seek your will and your ways tonight. For we ask it in Christ's name, amen. Does um, anybody here tonight have any inkling that what happened today concerning Jerusalem has anything whatsoever to do with biblical prophecy. Yeah, I, you know, I, although I can't put my finger on a particular verse of Scripture that says, well, this fulfills that, uh, we all know that uh, uh, Israel and Jerusalem is the apple of God's eye. And... Um, he talks about it quite a lot, and to see uh, today the United States officially recognize Jerusalem as the capital of um, Israel, I can't help but think it has some biblical significance and some implications there. So it should, I think, cause all of us to, to recognize that the Lord is at work, and um, things are winding down. Um, we don't know how much longer it's going to be before our Lord comes, but um, I got a feeling before He comes, most of us are going to be crying out, as the Scripture says, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. So, um, at least that's what the Bible tells us will be, will be the mantra before His coming. Um, if you would turn with me to James chapter 5. Most of you probably have heard the uh, message I sent out earlier today, um, and instead of going to Ephesians, we're going to put on hold our Through the Bible series until after Christmas, and then return to it, and um, on Sundays be dealing with Christmas for the next three Sundays, and so I'd like to um, um, deal tonight with, with something I, I think I spoke a little bit about last week. A couple of weeks ago, in the book of Second Corinthians, we, we dealt with the idea uh, and the Word of God, which says that God is the God of all comfort. I think most of you will probably remember that verse of Scripture. You've read it before. You've heard it before. God is the God of all comfort. And, of course, we understand that we need comfort, don't we? Um, let me ask why. Why do we need comfort? 
Um, now, before, I, before we get the answers to that question, why do we need comfort, um, I'll remind you of the words of our Lord when He said, In the world you will have trouble. Not in the world you might have trouble, but in the world you will have trouble. We have troubles, don't we? Do Christians have troubles? Yeah, things don't always go exactly right for Christians, maybe the way we'd like for them to go. It rains on the just and the unjust, sun shines on the just and the unjust. And it's not weird when we have difficulties, but when we do have difficulties, we would like to think and to know that God was there to help us through that and to give us comfort. So why do we, why do we need comfort? Um, number one, we need comfort for our benefit. Am I right? Well, we need to be comforted. Um, what, what kind of witness are we as Christians if we crumble and fall to pieces and, and just live a life of being a basket case? What kind of witness is that to Christ? Right? Not a very good one. So we need to be comforted for our benefit because we need peace and joy in our hearts and lives. It's, it's, a, it's, it's tough to live uh, month after month after month after month just, just being a wreck. So we need comfort for our own benefit, but we also need comfort for another reason. Why is that? Yeah, not, not for... Exactly. Not only for us do we need comfort, but we need comfort for us so we can share comfort with others. You ever notice how when people are miserable, when people are hurting, when people are struggling, you ever heard the phrase, birds of a feather? Yeah, and you kind of gravitate to each other, right? What kind of comfort, if if I'm really struggling and maybe even reaching the point of bitterness and, and, and I'm all messed up in my mind and in my spirit, uh, what kind of comfort am I going to be able to give somebody else? None. And a matter of fact, you get two or three people together like that, what's going to happen? Yeah, and it gets worse, doesn't it? You're not going to help each other a bit when all you're doing is, is whining to each other. So, it illustrates the point we need to be comforted for ourselves, true, for our own comfort, but then so that we can offer comfort to other people. Because you can't give to somebody else what you don't have. If you're not comforted, you're not going to be able to comfort them. And so, First Corinthians, excuse me, Second Corinthians chapter 1 talks about that, that we may comfort others with the same comfort wherewith we've been comforted. We need to be comforted. So we can help comfort them. And, and we talked about that quite a bit two weeks ago on a Sunday morning. And the difficulties and the trials and the tests and the troubles that we have. And how God is there to comfort us in anything that we go through. But then we ended that service. And many of you will remember this. Um, anointing with oil. Someone who has cancer. And um, wanted to come and be anointed and prayed for, as the scripture says in James chapter 5. And had with them 15 or 18 family members 
And it was quite a touching thing for that family that morning when we anointed this man. And so we're, we're looking to begin tonight in James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18, that passage of Scripture that most of us are very familiar with about anointing with oil. And let's, let's take a moment, <clears throat> excuse me, let's take a moment to read that. James chapter 5, verse 13, beginning there. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. So, what I'd like for us to do for a few moments tonight, as we start down this trail, talking about healing and answered prayer and the comfort that God can give, I want us to take a moment to maybe... um, Unpack verse 17 and 18. This reference there to Elijah. This man who had a nature like ours. This man who prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it didn't rain for three years and six months. That's what I would call an effectual prayer, isn't it? (laughs) And then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. And so the Bible holds up Elijah... As an example for us, when it comes to prayer. Would you agree? In other words, there are certain things about Elijah's story, I think, that we need to look at. And when we look at those things, we're probably going to understand um, how he was able to pray those effective prayers and see things happen. So, let's examine that. Let's turn in our Bibles now to 1 Kings 17. So we're going back in the Old Testament, and we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about Elijah. 1 Kings chapter 17. And before we read this, 1 Kings 17 verse 1, I will share with you that what we're about to read, this verse, is the first time in the Bible you'll find the name of Elijah. Never is he mentioned before this point. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. And Elijah, the Tishbite, of the inhabitants of Gilead, said to Ahab, the king, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew 
nor rain these years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook, and it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So, as we're looking right now at chapter 17, verses 1 through 7, I'd like for you to give me feedback, and I'd like for you to tell me everything you know from those verses about Elijah. What do those verses tell us about Elijah? Okay, he was obedient. He was a normal, average sort of a guy. True. Man of like passage, just like us. We're not talking about Superman or Batman or Spider-Man or the President of the United States. or He's just a man, just like us. An average man. But look a little deeper. Look at every phrase. Several phrases in there will tell you something about Elijah. And we're looking... Let's pretend we don't know anything about Elijah at all. You've never read all the rest of the story. And you're trying to to find out something about Elijah from, from, uh, from verse 1. What do you know about Elijah from verse 1? Absolutely. As the Lord God of Israel lives. So he was knowledgeable enough about God and he loved God. I think that's certainly inferred there, right? And what does the next phrase say? Pardon me? Before whom I stand. Does that sound like that Elijah is a stranger to God? Or does that make it sound like that he's familiar with God and a friend of God, a servant of God. They're not strangers, are they? See, there's a whole lot said there. Elijah says, as the Lord God of Israel lives, he knows there's a God before whom I stand. He has relationship with this God. And he says, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Now, Elijah's talking. But if Elijah said, except at my word, but he knows God and he's been standing with God, where do you think he got that word? <laughs> yeah, he did. And we, we read that in verse 2, and then it says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying. So God is talking to Elijah, right? And, and then you see him acting on that in verse 5. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. There's this um, obedience part of it that somebody mentioned. 
Beginning in verse 8, you read about the word of the Lord uh, and or Elijah and the widow. And verse 8 begins, Then the word of the Lord came to him. My goodness, the, the word of the Lord has come to him two or three times already. In just those verses. What do you think it means the word of the Lord came to him? How would you say it? Exactly. Let's not complicate it. Let's just learn that, that God spoke to him. He heard the voice of the Lord speaking to him in some way, whether it was audibly or in his spirit or whatever. The Lord spoke to him. In verse 14, he says, For thus says the Lord God of Israel. Another indication that he'd heard from the Lord, right? Then you look at verse 16, the latter part. According to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. So God is speaking to Elijah, and then Isaiah, excuse me, Elijah is speaking that word to Ahab, or to whoever. Um, as we continue reading in verse 22, as Elijah revives this widow's son, verse 22 says, Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah. Now what are we learning? So, exactly. God spoke to Elijah. That's one thing. But then Elijah spoke to God. That's another thing, right? What do we call it when we speak to God? Prayer. We, we say that's prayer. So I want you to notice the dialogue. Notice that the Bible has indicated that Elijah knows who God is. Now, see, you've never heard of Elijah before. You get to chapter 17, verse 1, you've never heard of him before. This is all you know about Elijah. So you know that he, he knows God, he loves God, he stands with God. God talks to him, and he does what God says, and he also talks to God. God just doesn't talk to him, but he talks to God. So we're, we're building a case here to understand Elijah's relationship with the Lord. It's not just a happenstance, occasional passing thought that Elijah has, but they have this relationship uh, together that's very close and very special. In verse 24, now remember though, he's not Superman or he's just an average guy. Just like any of us. He was a man of like passions as we are. He believed God. He stood with God. He walked with God. He was obedient to God. He heard from God and he talked to God. That kind of sounds like maybe what we should be doing too, doesn't it? Because he's a man of like passions just like we are. I don't want us to miss the point about what this whole scripture is talking about. This, this bringing up Elijah in James chapter 5 relative to anointing with oil and praying the prayer of faith, praying an effective prayer. And then Elijah is used as an example. So we're looking at a man who believed in God, walked with God, stood with God, heard from God, talked to God, was obedient to God. Just in what little bit we've looked at, that's who we see here. In chapter 18, verse 1, the Bible says, It came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord claimed, came to Elijah. Here it is again. I mean, God's speaking to this guy over and over and over. So the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, Go present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on earth. And we, we keep reading through the passage of chapter 18. There's this... This very famous, familiar passage to us about Elijah calling fire down from heaven and 
most of us are familiar with that. But then the Bible says in chapter 18, verse 41, Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there's the sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. Then he bowed down to the ground and put his face between his knees and said to his servants, Go up and look toward the sea. He went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And seven times he said, Go again. Then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, There is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, Go up. Say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Verse 45. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy rain. Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So what The whole point here is that Ahab said, it's going to rain. And what did it do? It rained. But how did Ahab know it was going to rain? Is Ahab guessing? Is Ahab guessing? Come on. Is he guessing? No. Is he hoping? No. He's already been told in chapter 18 verse 1, Go present yourself to Ahab. I will send rain on the earth. God says, I'm going to send rain. And if God tells you, I'm going to send rain, then you can confidently stand on that promise and declare it. Can you not? That's the point. He was hearing from God. He knew God. He walked with God. God spoke to him. He spoke with God. They had fellowship together. And when God said something to him, Ahab could write it down in his book and consider it as done because God was going to do what God said he was going to do. And so, we, we look back at this passage and, and I, I'm looking at, here's, here's where it is in a nutshell. After, after this sermon was over on Sunday, I think it was Monday, I was driving and I was listening to that sermon. And I listened to it all the way through. And I got down to the end where we read James chapter 5, 13 through 18. And all of a sudden, it occurred to me, I needed, I needed to do some, some thinking and some meditating on Elijah. So I'm riding down the road and I'm thinking about Elijah. And the things that we've just looked at were the things that the Lord reminded me about Elijah. He believed God. He listened to God. He talked to God. He was obedient to God. He wasn't a stranger to God. They spent some time together. They were close. They had fellowship. And God used him. And God told him things that he was going to do. And then Elijah could stand on that with full confidence, knowing that because God said he was going to do it, he was going to do it. Does that make sense? And then I'm scratching my head thinking, now wait a minute. Why, why doesn't sometimes... Why doesn't James 5, 13 through 18 work in 2017 
like it did back in 1960 and 1970. In other words, why don't we see an answer to those prayers more than we do? Anybody ever wondered? Well, maybe you never wondered. Or maybe you just won't admit that you've asked yourself that question. I've done that many times. We, we have, as uh, almost 40 years now, that I've really been, been um, committed to the Lord. I've been saved since I was a little fellow, but, you know, through the teenage years, you know how it is. You, you don't really get plugged in and get serious about it. But the last 40 years, um, I've, I've been pretty consistent in my interest and my, my commitment to the Lord and 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 in ministry most of those years and years ago i would see i think probably more success we would witness more success when people are were, were anointed with oil and prayed for than maybe what we see now and so I began to ask myself, well, wh- why would that be? What possible reasons could there be? And so then I began to examine Scripture, and and what I began to see in Scripture is what I want to share with you tonight. All this other has just been an introduction. But I'd like for for us to acknowledge these things about Elijah. Elijah knew the will of God at least in these situations, when, when he said there's not going to be any rain for the next three years, how did he know that? Because the Lord had told him. And when he went to Ahab and said, you better get ready, it's going to rain. How did he know that? So in, at least in those situations, ahead of time, he knew the will of God. Agreed? And... He also walked with God. I think we've established that. He stood in the presence of God. Um, he, God talked to him. He talked to God. He walked with God. There was a relationship there. And he heard from God. We've talked about that, how to, that God spoke to him. Not only did he hear from God, but he obeyed God. There is a difference, you know, because we can hear from God and then not respond to what we've heard. Amen? And then, not only did he hear from God, but he spoke to God, which is what we call prayer. This is just kind of a summary of all that we've already talked about. Now, I want to go back through this again. And the Bible says Elijah was a man of like passions like we are. So let's forget Elijah for a minute. Let's talk about us. Let's talk about us. Do you think it is possible in the year 2017 that we can walk with God to the point where there are situations that arise in our lives where we can know the will of God? Do you think in the year 2017, well, let's forget 2017 because it's almost over, 2018. In 2018, do you think it's possible that we could walk with God? Yeah. Do you think it's possible that we could hear from God in 2018? Is it is it reasonable to think that if we know the will of God and have walked with God and we've heard from God that we could then obey God? And then, of course, 
and in addition to all these other things, isn't it also reasonable that we should speak to God or we should pray? If um, for the most part, what we're doing here tonight is is well. Let me ask you to def- to to give me the significance of this. The significance of the word monologue. What's the significance of that word? Um, it means that who's doing the talking? Yeah, for the most part, most of what we're doing here tonight is a monologue because I'm doing most of the talking, okay? However, when, it, when we begin to go back and forth and you all are speaking and I'm speaking and you all are speaking and I'm speaking, we call that what? A dialogue. And prayer is supposed to be a dialogue. True? So that means that prayer is hearing from God and speaking to God. Those two things. It's a dialogue. Now, as we started in um, 1 Corinthians 17, the Bible said, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand. In other words, the, the testimony there is, the implication is, I stand before God. I'm, I'm standing in His presence. Um, I like it there. Um, um, that's why I can hear His voice, because I stand in His presence. Well, I hadn't even thought about that aspect of it. Proximity to somebody determines whether we can hear them or not, Right? If you were at McDonald's in Roseville right now, I could li- I could talk as loud as I wanted to talk, and you never hear me if you're there. But because you're in the same room with me in my presence, you can hear me. How many times do you think it's possible that we may be walking so far from God that even when He speaks, we don't hear? Right? I'm just trying to be real tonight. because And, and I'm going to even get more real than this as we proceed because... You know, not to introduce doubt into anybody's mind, but I have learned over the years as a pastor, people ask questions and people struggle with things sometimes, and we try to skirt around the issue and don't answer the questions. And and I think we need to have a frank discussion in a setting like this about prayer and why some prayers get answered and why some prayers don't get answered, or at least they don't get answered the way we want them to. And a surefire way to know when you can expect success in prayer. The Bible addresses that too. And and it's all found uh, in what happened to Elijah. And I think the book of James teaches us that. Elijah was a man subject to like passion as we are. And his whole story there is told to us. And the context is anointing with oil and praying the prayer of faith. Because Elijah was a man of like passions as we are, and he prayed that it might rain. So because Elijah was just a man, average man, just like us, but he did these things, he had this relationship with God, then we can expect the kinds of results that he did if we'll do the same things he did, have the same relationship he did. So as we look at this, let's, um, let's go to, for instance, the Apostle Peter. Um, and you, you don't have to turn here, there, if you don't want to. I'm, I'm just going to share some things with you. Uh, somebody tell me about the Apostle Peter. Somebody tell me the Apostle Peter's demeanor. 
Where was he emotionally when Jesus was crucified? Okay, he was afraid. He... What else? What was going on in Peter's life from the time Jesus was crucified till he rose from the dead? Where was where was Peter emotionally and spiritually and okay? Why was he upset? He had he exactly he denied the Lord three times. He uh, he cursed and he swore. He went out and wept. He was under condemnation. He was. He was really needing some comfort, wasn't he? And so after Jesus is resurrected from the dead, according to what we read in the book of Corinthians and maybe other places as well, the first person he appears to seems to be who? Peter. So he goes to Peter and he gives comfort to Peter. Perhaps he wraps his arms around him and he loves him and he says, I forgive you, Peter. It's going to be all right. Because God the Father, remember the sermon, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all pictured as comforters in the Bible. God is the God of all comfort. So he comes to bring, Jesus comes to bring comfort into the life of Peter. So then we move into the upper room on the day of Pentecost. And they're all there praying together in one mind and one accord. And the Holy Spirit of God comes into that place. And they all are filled with the Spirit, something that has never happened before. Not, not that general baptism that the prophets and different people had had the Spirit come upon them. But this was, this was, some, this was like Jesus being born. Jesus being born began the dispensation and the earth walk of Jesus. Jesus ascends to heaven. Now the Holy Spirit comes. It's a new dispensation. It's a dispensation of the Spirit. He lives in our hearts and in our lives. Jesus said, I have been with you, but he's going to be in you. So this is something new. It's, it's, some, it's like this whole new thing is happening for everybody who comes and becomes a believer. In Christ, they, they have the Spirit of God in, inside them. Living in them. Comforting them. And so, what happens is, as the Spirit comes upon Peter, and he didn't go to college, and he didn't get training, and he didn't, he didn't get anything except comfort. He received the comforting presence and power of God. The Holy Spirit came upon him, and he just stands up and starts preaching. This is that which the prophet Joel talked about. And he preached this powerful message. That day, and 3,000 people were added to the Lord, right? Powerful thing. Powerful transformation. Now, two or three days later, Pentecost is in the rearview mirror now. And Peter and some of the disciples, they're, they're walking one day to the temple, and they're going to pray. And what happens? There's a man over here at the gate. The gate called Beautiful. Somebody tell me about him. He was lame and had been there for years. Yeah, just like today, right? Yeah. He was, he was absolutely um, 
in need of help. He was lame from his mother's womb. He had become, quote, a permanent fixture there at the gate. People had seen him every day. Uh, I will submit to you that Jesus had walked through the beautiful gate many times, and that man had been sitting there. Some people struggle with that. But Jesus didn't heal every single person he ever saw. He healed people who came to him and, and voiced that need and expressed faith in them. But Jesus, I believe Jesus had walked by that lame man many times because the Bible is, is plain. He was lame from his mother's womb and he had been carried and sat at the gate every day for a good long while. But this day was different. Now, based on what I've said to you thus far, why was this day different? Why was it different this day as, as Peter and John were walking into the temple to pray and here he sits at the gate? What was different about this day than the other days? They noticed him, right? Harold, you said? He did. He spoke up and he, he recognized that, you know, that he, he was asking alms of them. But that probably wasn't new, was it? Because he probably did that all the time. Okay. And because they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they now had the ability to what? Here's, here's the thing that I see there. They're walking into the temple. The man is there. He's been there many times. They've been through this gate many times. What made this different? Certainly, Pentecost made a difference because they've been filled with the Spirit. But it just so happened that this day was God's time for this man to be healed. And the Spirit spoke to Peter and, and caused him to feel something when he looked at that man. And Peter recognized this was the time. And Peter walked over to him and lifted him up by the hands and jerked him up. And the man began to walk, right? He went walking, leaking me, and praising God. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, such as I have, give I unto thee in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Now here's what I believe happened. I believe Peter heard the voice of the Holy Spirit said, I want to heal that man. And just like Elijah looked at King Ahab and said, it's going to rain. Peter looked at that man and said in his heart, he knew because the Spirit of the Lord was speaking to him, God's going to heal this man. I mean, you think about how embarrassing it would be to walk over here and pull that man up on his legs and step back and let him go and he crumble in a heap. Right? God had told Peter he was going to do that. I believe that with all my heart. He knew what was going to happen. And when God is speaking to you and you know what's about to happen, then you experience what the Bible calls the gift of faith. It is supernatural in you. You haven't seen it yet, but you know it's getting ready to happen. And so you can pray with power and confidence knowing that God has said, go for it. Right? I believe that that's a big part of where we are today. Now, let's continue with, with examples like that. What about Jesus? In John 11, verses 4 through 7, and he hears, Jesus is told that, Eli, that um, Lazarus has died, right? 
So Jesus panicked and he got all upset and he said, I better go right now. Well, no, first of all, he wasn't told he died. First of all, he was told that he was sick, right? And Jesus just kind of decided to have a picnic. And he was in no hurry. And the Bible explains very clearly why. Because he knew what he was going to do. And then the word came back that Lazarus was dead. And then the Bible says Jesus still didn't get in a hurry. He just took his time. And then finally he went, as you know, he raised him for raised him from the dead. But let's, let's look at John 11, chapter 4, in that passage there and see something there that I, I think is awesome. John 11, uh-huh. Jesus said, in verse 3, Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Later they came to him in verse 11 and said, Our friend... Let's see here. Jesus said, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Um... In verse 14, he clarifies what he meant by that. Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. And then Jesus goes and he calls him forth from the dead and raises him from the dead. Has this discussion with, with the sisters and so forth. But notice in verse 4, Jesus said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. That says to me that God has a purpose and God is going to receive glory from what He does. I've said through the years, God doesn't perform miracles to entertain His saints. God has a reason and a timing for doing what He does, for healing, for raising people up. Um, if you think about Paul's thorn in the flesh, and most of you know that, the Bible says that uh, Paul had a thorn in the flesh and he sought the Lord three times that the Lord would take it away. Did the Lord answer his prayer? Well, He did. He just didn't, didn't answer it the way that, that Paul wanted Him to. He did answer, didn't he? Lord, would you please take this away? Three times he asked him, and the Lord said, no. No, I'm going to let you carry this burden. I'm going to let you, um, I'm going to give you the comfort you need, and the strength you need, and the grace that you need to make it through, but this too is for the glory of God, and this will help you. Now, that might be a strange thing to say to somebody, but this, this, under the situation, this was the will of God, wasn't it? That he bear this thorn in the flesh. So maybe then this will be a good time to ask that question. Is it God's will that everybody be healed? 
you know, there are some people who say that it is. As a matter of fact, if you pray for God to heal you and you don't get healed, it must mean that there's sin in your life. You heard that one? Or you didn't have the faith? But the fact of the matter is, as we look at the Bible and other things as well, it is not... It is never stated that it is always God's will in every situation to heal every person. Because if God healed every person, what would that mean? There would be no death. And that's not the way it's going to be here on this earth, is it? When we get to heaven, it'll be that way. But I got news for you, this ain't heaven. And, and sometimes people die. And it just seems to me as a pastor, if we have, if we have a frank, candid conversation about that, it, and people understand that, it will help people not to be bitter at God when, when a loved one dies or something happens and they think God let them down. God never promised that everybody was always going to be healed. Well, there's something worse than death. There are some things worse than death. Absolutely. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So, when we, for instance, when we anoint with oil and we pray the prayer of faith and we don't see a person get healed, but they die instead. I almost wish Cheryl was in here with us tonight, Cheryl Mitchell, because the gentleman that came for prayer the other day was a first cousin of Danny's. And they had been, he had been talking with Cheryl about Danny's death just recently. And, well, I know that everybody prayed, but Danny died anyway. And he didn't get healed. And Cheryl just told me, told me the last two weeks with tears in her eyes, I explained to him that Danny did get healed. He got the best healing of all. And I'm going to tell you, now that's thinking like a Christian. That's acknowledging that God has a will. And God is sovereign. And incidentally, we are supposed to pray when we pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. Right? So God has a will. Incidentally, the Bible says that when we pray, somebody turn to 1 John five fourteen and read 14 and 15, would you? This is a powerful verse that I think would answer a lot of questions for us if we would pay attention to it. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. Boy, that's a good couple of verses right there. This is the confidence that we have in Him. This, this verse is going to tell us how we can have great confidence in the Lord when we pray. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. When I, let me say, let me rephrase that. If I, 
If I were to go before the Lord every Saturday night and pray that God will help my, my number to be chosen in the lottery, how many millions of people you think are praying that prayer every Saturday night? Okay? But that's... Or, listen, you take, you take um, about any pro football team. About any pro football team, they've got Christians on them. I'm talking about really committed, really committed Christians. There's some really committed Christians in, in the NFL. There really are. I mean, guys that are strong. Well, let's just, let's just take this as an illustration. You take somebody from the Dallas Cowboys, and on Sunday morning, they're praying that God will help them beat the Redskins. And then you got somebody on the Redskins praying that God will help them beat the Cowboys. How trivial. As if it really matters to God. In the large scheme of things, it means nothing, right? We assume a lot of times we know the will of God. And I, I just got to shoot straight with you and be honest. There's a whole lot of times as a pastor, I don't have a clue what the will of God is. People call me with prayer requests, and I don't have a clue what God's will is. And that's why I find great comfort in doing what the Bible says. In praying, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. A lot of times we don't know God's will. And if I don't know God's will in a situation... My mind flashes back to a bunch of different things through the years. Going in when an when a old retired minister is getting ready to have an open heart surgery and I walk in the room. And before I even have a chance to say hello, he says to me, Pastor, I tell you how I want us to pray. Because if I don't make it through this surgery today, I'm going to be with my family in heaven. But if I do make it through this surgery today, I'm going to be with my family here on earth. It doesn't matter to me. Let's pray God's will be done. Whew. That's something else, isn't it? That's putting it in the hands of the Lord. But to go before God and beg Him 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 to do a certain thing for us, and He may be wanting to hear us say, Lord, I love you so much. And I know you love me so much because you're my heavenly father that you want what's best for me. I'm just going to say, Lord, I want your will to be done in my life. That's a biblical prayer. Now, I've been, I've been chastised for praying that prayer. People will say, well, you don't have any faith. I think it takes a whole lot more faith to look at God and say, you're smarter than I am. And I want you to do what's best for my life because I'm smart, not smart enough to figure it all out. I think it takes more faith to do that than it does for me to try to advise God on what to do in every situation. Because you know what? I can sure mess it up. I was thinking this afternoon about um, people who seem to have a hard time living for the Lord consistently. You know, and they get all fired up and they can be on fire for the Lord for about six weeks and you may not see them for two years. And then they come back in, they get all fired up. And sometimes it'd be a blessing if the Lord would take them while they're fired up instead of taking them when they're backslid, right? Isn't that the truth? 
Yeah. But what I'm saying is, we may be praying that the you know Lord Lord you know don't don't take them now they're so young. Well, my if they're ready to go, and it's His will, take them. You know, you see what I'm saying? Because He sees the end from the beginning. He knows better than we do um, what needs to happen. And if you could see from right this point forward, everything you're going to face for the rest of your life. Most of us probably would never want to see that. Right? Pardon me? Overwhelming and frightening and to know these certain things were going to happen. We didn't know when they were going to happen. We'd go through. Well, we don't, thankfully. We don't know those things. But how comforting it is to just put it all in the hands of the Lord and say, Lord, you're my heavenly Father. You love me. And I'm just going to surrender it to you. Instead of trying to advise him on everything he needs to do in our lives. So, in, in John 15 verse 7, is um, we're coming up to a wind up time here, so I guess I better wind up. In John 15 verse 7, Jesus said, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Notice that Jesus said, you can ask what you will, and it shall be done for you. That's a promise, isn't it? But what are the conditions of that promise? If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, it's going to change what's important in your life. And you can ask what you will, because your will has been changed. And it shall be done for you. Because you're praying the will of God then. True? And the will of God, sometimes we don't even have a clue what it is. Absolutely. I think that's the, yeah, that's the whole point. We don't have a clue what it is sometimes. We don't. So, when you, when you look at this, going back to the question about answered prayer and anointing and so forth. Here's, here it is in a nutshell for me. If we know the will of God, now in that situation, remember we talked about how that the Lord told Elijah what he was about to do. Do you think the Lord can ever tell you something that's going to happen in your life? Or is it, you say, I, I grew up old school, can I say that? I grew up old school. I grew up in church services and state conventions and general assemblies where there might be somebody sitting over here and the, and the Holy Spirit may move on them to go over here and lay hands on somebody over here who was sick. And when they did what God said, this person was healed. And this person knew they were going to be healed when they went over there because God said, go pray for them. I want to do something special for them. And when God tells us things like that, when He speaks to us, and surely He will. See, that's the problem. Christianity, Christianity today is so secular and so powerless and so... Watered down. Watered, thank you. Watered down that we have, we have lost the ability to believe God to do mighty things. And to think that God would actually speak to us is foreign to some people. 
But God can impress upon your heart something you need to do or somebody you need to pray for. And my goodness, it's just like Peter walking through the gate and catches that guy's eye and he says, I need some money. And Peter says, I don't have any money, but I got something else. And he pulled him up to his feet and this man was healed. I believe Peter was spoken to by the Holy Spirit to do what he said. And I believe that God will speak to us. It may not happen every day, but I'll tell you what, when it happens, we need to respond. We need to say yes to the Lord. You know, Pastor Ron, the amazing thing about God answering prayer, too, is He works in the background and you don't even know what's going on. And He, he does it a strange way sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that's that's wonderful because we can just trust Him and He's doing it. You know, he's working in the background. Absolutely. And you know what? Right. So uh, it, it'd just be nice if the Lord uses you to do something like that. Just keep it between you and God. Right. And it doesn't become something that God would resent because that He would say, Go tell them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and all of this that we're talking about, this, this whole sphere of the Spirit moving in our lives, it's all for the glory of God, Correct. never for the glory of man. Never to bring attention to man. Always to bring glory to God. And so, what an awesome, awesome thing that would be. Yeah, if a person could go off alone and weep before God and thank Him for using you to do that, and let that be the end of Mm-hmm. That is with the big I, capital I. Right. Elijah knew the will of God, didn't he? You think it's possible for us to know the will of God? Now, I'm not talking about thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. I'm talking about God has a specific thing He wants to do. Do you think He's, is it possible He could, He could use you and tell you something? Okay. So, because, and, and we'll say amen to that because Elijah was a man of like passions like we are. He's just like us. We're just like Him. If God did it for Him, He can do it with us. He walked with God. We can walk with God as well. He heard from God. We can hear from God as well. He obeyed God. Surely we can obey God just like Elijah did. And he spoke to God. And everybody knows we should be doing the same. Pray. Well, I, yeah, we, we put it down here because that's the way it fell into line in the Scripture. But yeah, that's absolutely true. These things, to have a relationship... Listen... God cannot be an afterthought with us. It, it can't be that God is the most important thing in our lives on Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock. No, He's got to be the most important thing in our lives every day. Right? And when we stand in His presence, that's what Elijah said He did. I am Elijah who stand in the presence of God and I hear His voice and He said this and and if, if we can do that, if we can live that way, then we'll come into church sometime on Sunday and he'll thump your heart and you'll feel this, you'll feel this impression. If I don't do this, I feel like I'm going to bust. What should you do? Do it. Absolutely. You should do that. And then when you do that, they tell them what the Lord is going to do for you or somebody else as a, as a, 
indication or as to, to perform his will as we listen to him. Amen. Mm-mm. He's the same right today as he, as he was with Elijah. Right. Society as a whole has changed because we have so many things coming at us all the time. Even from, like you said, what happened since 1960 to today. 1960, we didn't have smartphones. We didn't have the Internet. We didn't have TV. Hardly. And, I mean, now we're just bombarded with so much crap, or no better word, mm-hmm. that they don't turn to, like, when my grandparents were young, their mom would read the Bible to them. Well, they don't do that, you know. Mm-hmm. You're hard pressed to find that now. Yeah. Our soul has been stolen by these things that you're talking about. Our spirit has been stolen. All these distractions, and, and we don't have that um, commitment to the Lord, thinking about the Lord, talking God. we got so much noise coming at us every minute of every day, but we... We got to get away from some of that to even hear the Lord. That's right. But I think that's why a lot of people think that they can't hear God now. Well, mm-hmm. maybe they can't because they got too much other stuff going on. Mm-hmm. But He hasn't changed, as you said. He hasn't changed. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. I do have some prayer requests that I would like for us to uh, remember tonight. Um, first of all, there's a, a family friend of ours, uh, Jerry Snyder. Uh, his wife um, contacted me this afternoon and wants us to pray for Jerry. He has prostate cancer, and she asked that we would pray for him. Um, also, Jamie, who is Lynn and Pat Joyner's daughter. Some of you know Janie, uh, Jamie. Jamie um, is involved in a child custody um, situation and the court date is tomorrow and they specifically asked me that I share that need with that detail to know they need prayer tomorrow Um, Janie Lassiter who is uh, Lisa Revis's aunt we mentioned that last week she is uh, on chemo again so we need to remember her and then another prayer request that came in today, Ted Fortenberry, who is the pastor of our church in High Point, his mother had a stroke today, and he is asking prayer for her. Also, many of you know Chris um, um, Bradford and Chrissy. Chris is expecting a baby. Um, this afternoon, Chris texted me and said that Chrissy had gone to the hospital, had gone to the doctor's office for a. Uh, checkup and they had found some complication they took her straight to the hospital he was going to meet her there he texted me two or three times and they have um, taken she's gone home from the hospital but she's um, was told not to work anymore just just to basically stay in bed until the baby's born uh, so let's remember uh, Chrissy and uh, and the baby that the Lord would minister to them. Amen. Anybody else have a request you want to share? Okay. Would you uh, stand and join with me as we lift these to the Lord, please? 
Lord, you tell us that we have not because we ask not. So tonight we come before you with these requests, asking that you would minister as only you can. You're an awesome, wonderful God, a powerful God who is able. There is nothing too hard for you. So, Lord, in each one of these situations tonight, I just ask that you would minister. Oh, Lord, this child custody situation tomorrow, Lord, I am not smart enough to advise you on any of these as to what needs to be done. But I'm asking you, because you're my Heavenly Father, and you love these people whose names have been called tonight, I'm asking you, Lord, to do what's best for them in their situation at this time. I pray that your will would be done in their lives, because I know you never make mistakes. So we're crying out to you. O oh Lord, tonight, for mercy and grace, for comfort, for help, minister to these needs, we pray. Touch these individuals' lives. Blessed be your name. What an awesome God you are. We bless your name tonight. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your faithfulness to us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you all for being here on a rainy Wednesday night. And cold.